so I'll level with everybody here. I have not been watching any pro wrestling at all since... I don't want to say since the pandemic because I did watch uh, the last pay-per-view, which was Double or Nothing. And I enjoyed it. Uh, we reviewed it on this show. And it was a good time. But um, since then, I've been paying attention to the storyline just through reading results on Reddit, seeing clips here and there on Instagram, Facebook, things like that. Um, so I figured, you know, I'll give this pay-per-view a chance. Uh, some of the storylines seemed intriguing. The main event seemed interesting. There were some gimmick matches that seemed kind of fun. Um, and what I got from this pay-per-view, I think there was a lot of good. And there was definitely a lot of bad. And I would say this is probably the worst pay-per-view AEW has done since its inception. Um, and it's not necessarily for work rate reasons. It's kind of the way they handled some of the things that happened on the show. Um, and just some things that I feel like my teenage self would really appreciate. But as an adult now, seeing some of this these needless bumps some of these guys are taking. Um, I just don't see the need for it. I mean, everybody knows uh, the deal with pro wrestling at this point, you know? And I feel like some of the risk these guys are taking is completely unnecessary. But um, we'll jump into it. So this is AEW All Out 2020 live from Dailies in uh, Florida. I went to... Uh, the first AEW pay-per-view ever in Las Vegas, double or nothing. It was a really good time. The company has had some ups and downs since then. So uh, it starts off, I guess there was a big uproar for not having Dr. Britt Baker and Big Swole in this tooth and nail match on the main show. So Tony Khan uh, caved to the pressure Put this on the main show instead of the pre-show. And I think that was a gigantic mistake because this match was one big pile of shit. I mean, they try to do this cinematic thing. Big Swole shows up in the in the front of Dr. Britt Baker's actual dental office. And she goes in and Rebel's there, who's or Reba, I guess, as she is known now. They have an exchange... It's kind of over-the-top comedy. It's very corny. There's blood all over the floors in the dental office. And I was kind of in and out on this match. I was cooking some food for the family. But my kids and my girlfriend were both telling me how horrible this event was. And this match in particular. Um, from the things that I did see, though, it was very over-the-top. They, they just don't do the cinematic things quite as good as WWE. That's just all there is to it. Um... You know, Swole tossed Reba into a dumpster. Uh, you know, she, they smashed a diploma uh, over the head of uh, Reba. Um, there's a syringe that's allegedly full of Novocaine that Swole steals and injects it into Britt Baker's leg, putting the limb to sleep. Swole hits Dirty Dancing, shoved Baker onto a dental chair, and used gas to put her to sleep and win the match. Uh, just complete gaga, complete bullshit. It, it's, 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 this is not something I want to see in a company that prided themselves on being more realistic, more sports driven. Um, 
you know, they use a ranking system, wins and losses matter, and to see bullshit like this on the TV, um, it, it's just not something I want to see in my wrestling. Uh, I gave this a one star. It, it was terrible. The next match uh, was the Young Bucks versus Jurassic Express. The Bucks were wrestling with their new mean streak, but early big offense from the Express allowed them to take things over, especially once Luchasaurus got involved to really pile some big shots on in on Nick Jackson. The Bucks eventually took over, trapping Jungle Boy after he had been dumped out of the ring after a series of Northern Light suplexes. Jungle Boy almost made his way to a hot tag, but Luchasaurus was super kicked from the apron. He did eventually get the tag, leading to a big sequence of kicks capped off by a standing moonsault by Luchasaurus and then a moonsault from the apron onto the Bucks on the outside moments later. After a Bucks comeback, Express went on another hot run, culminating in hitting an extinction level event for a near fall. Luchasaurus hit a dive to the outside that let him out of the action as both Jacksons landed super kicks for a pair of near falls on Jungle Boy. The BTE trigger finished off Jungle Boy moments later, however, and the Bucks picked up the win. This should have been the opener. Uh, it was a very hot-paced match. Um, you're seeing shades of the Young Bucks turning turning a little more heelish, a little more tweener, but uh, I don't know how that really played out later on in the show. Uh, I give the match uh, three and a half stars. It was a very good... Uh, this should have been the opener. It would have been a great opener. A high-octane match to open the show is always something you want to see instead of what we got. Uh, Casino Battle Royale. This is for a shot, a future shot at the AEW World Championship. Uh, Will Hobbs got a little bit of shine in this match. I guess they've got their eyes on him. They want to make him something big. But this is kind of where some of the bullshit I was ex explaining earlier in the show starts to rear its ugly head. It's when Brian Cage and um, uh, Ricky Starks are in the ring. Darby Allen comes in, starts hitting everybody with skateboards. They double-team him and get him down. They throw a body bag into the ring, throw thumbtacks inside of the body bag, put Darby Allen in it, and zip him up, and then Brian Cage powerbombs him over the top rope onto the fucking ramp. That ha I mean, I know Darby Allen is known for doing crazy things, but this shit is going to get him killed or seriously hurt and out of the business forever. I don't see the need for doing a bump like this in a battle royal where there's people everywhere. That spot, I mean, if you are going to do a spot like that, you want to save that for like a big showcase match where it's one-on-one -on -one and all the shine is on the individuals doing the spot. And it was just kind of a background spot to the rest of the things happening in the ring. And on top of that, when you're powerbombing a guy over the top ropes to the outside, he has no clear landing um, he can't see where he's going, and it, it just makes for a completely needless bump that they, they shouldn't be doing shit like this, to be quite honest. Then there's thumbtacks in the ring, and guys are taking bumps on these thumbtacks that have nothing to do with this spot at all. Uh, the last four in the ring is the Butcher, Lance Archer, Eddie Kingston, and the wild card, Matt Seidel, which that kind of went off like, a fart in church. I mean, <laughs> I had heard rumors that it was Pac coming back, that 
you know, it was going to be uh, Miro, uh, a.k.a. Rusev, something of that nature. And fucking Matt Seidel is just, that's not a name that gets you excited. And the first thing he does when he gets in the ring is try to hit his big move, the shooting star press, and he slips and fucking takes a bump. Uh, you know, he looked fine the rest of the match, but not a good first night in for this guy. Uh, so then the, the final two ends up being Lance Archer and Eddie Kingston. They're on the top rope. Jake the Snake has this snake that he's swinging around like he's got a bag full of Legos or something. Obviously, there is no snake in there, but it was very weird looking. Lance Archer chokeslams Kingston. The other two, uh, the Butcher and the Blade guys are out there to catch Kingston. Lance Archer wins the match. He is now the number one contender for the AEW World Heavyweight Championship. And I think they kind of played their hand here because the winner of this match, I, I, I feel really telegraphed who was going to win the main event here. So from there... We had Matt Hardy taking on Sammy Guevara in a Broken Rules match, which is essentially a last-man-standing match. The stipulation is that Matt Hardy will leave AEW forever if he does not win this match. It starts out on the football field, and Sammy Guevara tries to run him over with the golf cart. Uh, Matt gets out of the way. They do a DDT spot through a table. And then this is where trouble happens. They climb a scissors lift. They're probably a good 10 feet in the air. There's a table down below that's supposed to break the fall of this maneuver. But Sammy Guevara spears Matt off of there. They clear the table and Matt Hardy hits his head on the concrete. He is out cold. Uh, a good 45 seconds at least before he gets to his feet. And at this point he's stumbling around. Uh, he can barely stand. Guevara's trying to stand him up. The referee's throwing up the X sign, and the match is over. I thought that something seriously wrong had happened here. So, much to my surprise, all of a sudden, after they had already rung the bell and indicated that the match is over, the match continues! And they climb this huge scaffolding, and I'm thinking, okay, this has to be a work. Because there's no way they're going to let this guy go out there and, and risk this when he might have a concussion or worse. But you see Guevara as they're climbing the scaffolding, or it's like almost like a lighting post. And it's a huge, it's way up there. Like this is Shane McMahon levels of bump for whoever is going to go flying off this thing. And Guevara is kind of helping Matt Hardy uh, scale this thing. Hardy punches him, and Guevara takes the big bump onto the crash... I don't know if it's crash pads, but almost like cardboard on the outside of it, and Matt Hardy wins the match. Um, this was a bad look for AEW. They spent the rest of the night trying to justify letting Matt Hardy go back out there. Matt Hardy's wife, Rebby, was fucking pissed. She was tweeting all night long about... Uh, everybody in the building should be ashamed of themselves. The people to blame for this is number one, Matt. Number two, I'll let you figure that out, which I'm assuming is Tony Khan. Tony Khan is saying that they did concussion protocol and the doctor said he was good to go. But I don't know how they can assess that properly after like a period of 10 seconds. Um, they should have never let this guy go back out there. I understand the stipulation. 
is to uh, Matt is going to have to leave if he loses. But this is pro wrestling. You can write your way out of this. You can book this a different way. You can let Matt have a couple months off and somehow he finds his way back into the promotion. Uh, there's a million ways this could have been done differently. You could have called the match a no contest and state there was no winner. I think, I mean, a couple things here. Matt and Sammy should not be in the ring together ever again. Every time they have a match together, something bad happens. Someone gets busted open. It, it's just the chemistry is not there between these two guys. I don't know what it is, but it's 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 like fire and ice. They just they just don't go good together, and bad things happen every time it happens. Um, you know, I think this is another example of Tony Khan trying to be buddies with the wrestlers and not being more of a boss and just telling these guys, no, you're not doing that. Or, no, this match is over. Don't let the match continue because Matt Hardy wants to continue it. He's an old-school wrestler. Of course he's going to want the match to go on no matter what happens. Uh, obviously, this gets a quarter star for me because of the bumps they took. But it was, it was fucking awful. Um, you know, this isn't 1998 anymore. We know a ton more about concussions and the dangers. We've seen too many wrestlers die early from things like this or have serious problems and I mean to let your guy go back out there and, and, and go through that is just it was a real bad look for AEW and probably the worst thing they worst decision they've made thus far so after that this is where a lot of people think the show was saved um, the AEW Women's Championship Hikaru Shida, Shida uh, defending the title against the NWA Women's Champion, Thunder Rosa. Um, here's what I'll say. I remember seeing Thunder Rosa for the first time in Lucha Underground when she was Cobra Moon. And she was terrible. I didn't think she was very good. Now keep in mind, I haven't seen the final season of Lucha Underground. I plan on doing that whenever I get the time. Um, so I'll say that I think she has improved dramatically. Um, I think there's something here with this woman. I think her presence, uh, her aura, her presentation is fantastic. It's almost superstar-like. However, in the ring, uh, between the ropes, I felt like she was a step behind Sheeta. I felt like they were kind of running the ropes half-assed in the beginning, and there's a lot of spots that felt very choreographed. It does pick up towards the end of the match, though, especially a spot where... Uh, Sheeta sets up the chair on the outside and Rosa runs and gives her a drop kick off that chair. Uh, Thunder Rosa hits a Death Valley driver on the apron. There was a very scary spot where they do a Meteora over the top ropes to the outside. And <coughs> Thunder Rosa, excuse me, almost hits her head on the back of the steps there. Um, Sheeta hit a running knee. That uh, ended up getting the win, though, in the end. It was it was a good match. Probably the best match to this point. Um, it was solid. I would give the match three stars. I thought they really um, struggled to get out of the, the starting gate. But once they did, they finished well. And I would like to see more of Thunder Rosa in AEW. Next match, we had the Dark Order, which was... 
uh, Stu Grayson, Evil Uno, Colt Cabana, and the TNT champion Brody Lee taking on Matt Cardona, Scorpio Sky, and the Natural Nightmares. This was a very good uh, TV match. Um, <laughs> this is, I guess this is the part where we talk about JR. And, and I've said this for a while um, in the times I've talked about AEW on here. Look, I love Jim Ross from when I was a kid. He's one of the greatest wrestling announcers of all time. He probably is. Um, I think his time has come and gone. I feel like every time I watch these AEW broadcasts, he's not taking this product seriously. He doesn't take the time to get to know who these guys are, or he's just being confused because he's just old. Um, he doesn't give a shit about what's going on in the ring, and he says a lot of uh, creepy sexualized things about the female talent especially that just doesn't fly in today's world um you know and then he he tweets his half-ass apology he says you know anna jay uh gets into a scuffle with brandy Rhodes. he says did anna jay just have a wardrobe malfunction or is that just wishful thinking well this outraged everybody um the announcers tried to move on quickly past that comment. Uh, I just... You got to be better than that in today's world. That's just all there is to it. And if you're broadcasting, you know, to seven, 800,000 people, you, you got to be better. You cannot have this Jerry the King Lawler humor that, yes, I was a big fan of in the Attitude Era. Um, it just doesn't work here. But I think, too, with Jerry Lawler compared to Jim Ross, is Jerry Lawler's character was so over-the-top, so cartoony, that it it almost is a little bit easier to take in than than Jim, good old JR saying things like this. I think this commentary team would be a lot better replacing JR with Taz um, or just having Excalibur and Tony Schiavone run the show because... Jim Ross just seems like he does not give a shit about any of this going on. Um, he calls a lot of these former WWE guys by their WWE names. He even called um, Lance Archer earlier on in the night um, Lance Hoyt. So, it's just ridiculous. Uh, the story of this match, though, was ultimately Brody Lee setting up Colt Cabana to get the win here. He misses the moonsault and Dustin rolls him up for the win. Brody Lee scolds Cabana after the match, and then Evil Uno is the one there to help him out. And then from there, this is one of the best parts of this whole night. Dustin Rhodes cuts a promo. He's the one that gets the pin, and they inform him that he's getting a title shot. And he is just taken aback by this. He says, oh, wow, it's been, it's been such a long time since I had the chance to get gold around my waist. And keep in mind that this is also a revenge story because of what Brody Lee had done to his brother Cody. And he tells Brody Lee, Brody Lee, I'm coming for you and hell's coming with me. He just cuts this totally impassioned promo that he, I swear he's one of the best performers AEW has right now. Uh, he's just got the complete package. His ring work is the best it's ever been. His promos are on point. Uh, it was fantastic. I don't expect him to beat Brody Lee, but I wouldn't be upset if he did, to be quite honest. Uh, the next match, oh, and that last match, I give that match three stars. Good match. 
Very good, uh, but, you know, a great TV match. The AEW Tag Team Championship, Kenny Omega and Hangman Adam Page defending against FTR. This has been one of the longest built stories going into this pay-per-view. There's been dissension between Omega and Hangman. They've been teasing one of these guys turning heel or turning on the elite. Hangman cost the Young Bucks his title shot. They kicked him out of the elite. FTR has kind of been using Hangman uh, to weasel their way into this. So, uh, this would have been the best match of the night in front of a full crowd probably. But this pay-per-view had already gone long and this match went a little too long for my taste based on the atmosphere these guys are working in. But it was a very good tag team match. Um, a lot of cool moves in this. Um, FTR doing some great double team maneuvers. Adam Page does a moonsault fallaway slam off the top ropes. Fantastic. Uh, and it looks like, you know, Hangman and Kenny are going to get the job done. And then they go for the buckshot lariat V-trigger combo. Uh, one of the guys from FTR ducks. Hangman gets V-triggered by Kenny Omega. They throw Omega to the outside. Omega's leg is already fucked up because they've been working on it the entire match. They hit a mind breaker on Hangman Page. He kicks out, which there's way too many kickouts in, in wrestling these days. Uh, I didn't like that. But they hit another one on him, and they win the belts. And then the part everybody's kind of been waiting for is Kenny grabs a table, like a little folding table. He acts like he's going to hit Hangman with it, and instead he puts it down. Hangman kind of stumbles over to reach for him, and Omega just lets him fall, and he walks out. As he's leaving, he says, let's get out of here. He tells the young Bucks, forget that guy. The Bucks are trying to talk to Omega, and then Omega, Omega says, Get in the limo. Let's go. He says, You're, you either get in the limo with me or I'm leaving without you. They don't get in, and Kenny leaves. So I'm not sure where they're going to go with this. I think it's probably going towards a Kenny Omega heel run. Um, if I was booking this, I would have Kenny win the belt from the winner of the main event, and then I would ultimately have Hangman take that belt from Kenny. But we'll see where it goes. The next match, the Mimosa Mayhem match. Chris Jericho versus Orange Cassidy. Uh, before I get to that, Kip Sabian uh, was in the back. And him and Penelope Ford are going to get married. And he's going to tell everybody who his best man is on Dynamite. I'm predicting that this is going to be Rusev. But we will see where, where that goes. And then he puts up a follow me on Twitch. This message has been approved by AEW. I'm sick of the fucking shots this company takes at the WWE. It's ridiculous. We get it. You're the rebel company. Uh, you know, you're in competition with them. We understand. I think the joke has been played to death. So, Mimosa Mayhem. And before this match, Chris Jericho, I think, is kind of really heavy-handed on trying to tell everybody that Orange Cassidy is a main eventer. 
I don't buy Orange Cassidy as a main eventer. I buy him as a sideshow attraction. He's he can be entertaining in spots, but if they're really trying to make this guy um, a main event player, I just don't know if I can buy that. There's two giant vats of mimosa on each side of the ring. They do a bunch of bullshit on the outside. Jericho hits a code breaker right in the beginning of the match. Um, it ends with the orange punch, and Jericho goes flying into the mimosa, and Orange Cassidy wins the match. This brings us to the main event, the AEW World Championship, John Moxley defending against MJF. So here's the thing about this match. I thought it was a very good match. Um, the problem with it is the psychology of the match. If you're trying to build MJF as a main event heel, in my opinion, this is the way it should have been booked. Because there's one point where MJF gets slingshot. He's controlling Moxley on the inside of the ring. They go to the outside. Now Moxley's in control, brawling. He slingshots him into the post, and MJF comes up bleeding. He's got, you know, he's got a gusher, juicing all over the place. And then they do the knee-to-knee spot where MJF is going toe-to-toe with Moxley. And I feel like they're almost booking MJF to be... The babyface here. In my opinion, MJF should have used shenanigans. Because Moxley cannot use a paradigm shift in this too. Or he'll lose a championship. They should have used dirty tactics when the ref was turned. You have Wardlow get some heat on on Moxley. You bust Moxley open and have him bleeding. uh, And then you have MJF take over and hit Moxley with everything he's got. And then at some point, Moxley can reverse this. And then he can bust MJF open and MJF can play the cowardly heel at this point. I think that would have made for a far better story and it would have made Moxley more of the sympathetic babyface versus, you know, MJF is basically kind of winning the match like uh, in between the ropes and it took Moxley to go to the outside to get the advantage. I like the finish where Wardlow has a ref distracted. He throws the ring to MJF. It goes over MJF's head. But Moxley catches him. He hits a paradigm shift with the ref's back turned and gets the three. And the night ends with Moxley flipping off Lance Archer and uh, saying they're going to have to drop a house on him to stop him. He's unstoppable in this sport. So I'm assuming that the main event for the next pay-per-view, which is full gear, will be John Moxley defending the title against Lance Archer. So we'll have to see how that plays out. Um Overall, there was, I think, the last few matches saved this show. Um, as far as the women's division goes in this company, I think they're far behind WWE and NXT. Those women are are just five steps above most of the women in this division, except for Sheeta. The tag team division is the best in wrestling, hands down. It's got so many great teams. And I think the singles division, too, is stepping up, so... I really think AEW needs to bolster their women's division a little bit more and hopefully get uh, some really good signees uh, down the road. They need to stop this. I know that they have a lot of creative freedom in AEW, and that's great. Uh, They shouldn't have scripted promos and every match looking the same. But they really need to take a look in the mirror and realize that, you know, 
Some of this shit is ECW-esque, and I know Tony Khan was a big fan of ECW, and so was I when I was a teenager. But times have changed, things have changed, and you can't have your guys taking risks like this and taking bumps like this anymore. Um, And you certainly can't let a match go on when an accident like that happens. Um, I hope they've learned some lessons from this show. And I hope they really take a look at JR. I mean, I think JR can be a better, like, sit-down interviewer for some of the big matches and, and things like that. I think he has a great mind for the business, and he can lend an ear in that regard, or a voice. But he should not be commentating anymore. I think he's bringing this product down. Um you need good commentary to make a good wrestling show. It's a big reason why I don't watch Impact because the commentary is shit. Uh, it's a big reason why I don't watch WWE. I don't like their commentary either. Um, it's been missing from wrestling in a, for a long time. Uh, and I really wish, and I think they've, they've almost got that formula down, but Jim Ross is, is bringing this product down. I hate to say it. I love Jim Ross from my younger years, but... It, it, he's just not cutting it anymore. And I think Tony Khan needs to stop being buddy-buddies with these guys and, and putting his foot down a little more and, you know, cutting some of these bullshit angles. Um, you know, Kenny Omega needs to be the fucking cleaner again. He needs to be the guy from New Japan that, that I fell in love with and the guy that really brought my love for professional wrestling back. Um... This chocolate milk, you know, bit on dynamite and him coming out there, just dressed like a schmo. It's just, I, I just, how, you're not gonna make stars like that, you know. I hate to sound like fucking Jim Cornette, but he's right on some of these things. Um, you're not gonna get eyeballs on the product. You're not gonna get people wanting to watch when your guys are like this. So, I have hope that. AEW will continue to improve. It's still very young in their journey. They've had to deal with a lot of adversity in their second year of business because of COVID. And I think they've managed to weather that storm. So hopefully next year, with if, if this is behind us and we can get some packed arenas again, um, it will be a better indicator of what direction they need to go with their product. Um. But I think it's time to start making some of these other guys stars too because they're relying a lot on ex-WWE guys. Everybody in this company that has a belt is a former WWE guy except for Sheeta. And there really hasn't been any homegrown talent that is making up the, the bulk of their star power here. And you're never going to get back to four, five, six, you know, 10 million people watching pro wrestling again if you don't make stars. The biggest reason the Attitude Era was so big is because they had guys like Stone Cold Steve Austin, like The Rock, that were bigger than life, larger than life. It made you want to tune in every week. Um, And I think they've got some of those same formulas in place, but they just need to work on building those stars. So overall, the pay-per-view, I would say a C plus. too many negatives to talk about here, but there were some good matches that kind of saved it from being a real shit show. So hopefully I'll be back next pay-per-view, which is full gear. Hopefully I can get world-renowned artist. I'm sorry. Yeah, artist and author 
Ryan Taylor back on to review that with me. Kind of short this week, but it's just me running this shit. So that's it for now. Uh, thanks for listening, guys. We'll see you next time.